As uh, Brian mentioned, my wife Karen and I uh, became part of the Emmanuel Church family in 2018. Uh, like some of you, we were new to a liturgical style of worship, new to the Anglican Church. And one of the things that was extremely beneficial in my understanding of the early church fathers, uh, Anglicanism, and the theology that stands behind the church, how we live the sacramental life and day-to-day living with Christ, was a podcast known as The Word and Table. And Father Stephen Gautier is the co-host of that, process, uh, that podcast and the resident theologian of that. Matter of fact, he serves as the canon theologian of the Upper Midwest Diocese of the Anglican Church of North America. Wow, that sounds like a big title, Father Stephen. Uh, not a uh, canon theologian. I had to look that up. He oversees areas of theology, liturgy. He's involved in the ordination of priests, uh, even the canons of marriage that uh, uh, the Anglican Church of North America holds to. And so, uh, Father Stephen, thank you for our, your service to our church and the rest in the Upper Midwest Diocese. Well, last week we began our series on the Psalms, and Kevin Sheehan from the Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois, got us started in that series. He, uh, he gave a good overview of the Psalms, as well as walking us through Psalm 138, and uh, in that psalm, he shared with us how the exalted Lord exalts the lowly. Praise the Lord for that, because we have all uh, come from a lowly estate. Well, today we're turning to the familiar Psalm 139. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there now. Uh, it's also in the liturgy guide. Uh, and some of you I know are technically savvy. You may have a Bible app on your phone or tablet and you may be pulling up your Bible in that way today. And according to my wife, Karen, that's a sure sign of the end times. <laughs> so, Brian, thank you. Thank you for leading us through the responsive reading of Psalm 139 this morning. Kevin reminded us last week, the Psalms are the songbook of God's people, and it still is today. What a beautiful psalm that Abigail put to music last week for us. Uh, that just really touched my heart. Uh, the poetry of the Psalms often uses a literary style called parallelism, and uh, that's the usage of repeating words or forms. It develops patterns and rhythms to a passage of literature. You're going to be hearing that throughout this Psalm today. Psalm 139 is one of the most beloved passages in this book. And in it, David's having a sort of dialogue with God. And in that conversation, deep theological truth is revealed. And what's really meaningful for us today is that theological truth is highly personalized, revealing an intimate relationship between the psalmist and his Lord, the same type of relationship that God desires in our lives today. So here's the first truth of this passage of Scripture, that God knows me. Now, I want you to take a moment and think in your mind, who's the person that you know most intimately? For some of us who are married, it's going to be our spouse. 
Maybe it's our best friend, a parent, a brother or sister. Now that you've got that person pictured in your mind, what has it taken for you to get to that level of intimacy in your relationship? An essay by the author Tim Kreider appeared in the New York Times, and it contained this statement. If we want the rewards of being loved, we have to submit to the mortifying ordeal of being known. Deep relationships require not just transparency, but vulnerability. Being known can be comforting, but it can also be uncomfortable. Well, let's listen to how the psalmist describes how well God knows him. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. God knows David's thoughts, his actions, and his words, even words he's yet to form and speak. God has uh, David hemmed in, fully surrounded for his own protection. This concept of uh, God, the theological term, is that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. His hand was on David. Imagine a parent with their hand on the shoulder of their son or daughter. It's a symbol of love, of protection, even a blessing. David says he is astounded by the way that God knows him. It was the late J.I. Packer who wrote, There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. God knows me. But David also says that God is with me. The emerging generation, those who are 18 to 29, research says is the loneliest generation. And that loneliness was heightened in the midst of the pandemic. But uh, that age group isn't the only lonely generation. Uh, one study revealed that more than one-third of adults that are 45 years of age and older uh, claim to be lonely. And one-fourth of those 65 and older live in social isolation. Loneliness, it's that feeling of being alone regardless of one's social context. David was alone. He's physically alone, but he's come to the realization, even though physically alone, he is never alone. The following verses speak to God's omnipresence, that God is always present, even when we don't feel his nearness. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. 
few years ago, Karen and I were on vacation in Mexico. We were in a rainforest about an hour inland from the Belize border. One evening, we were on a kayak expedition. We were the only English speakers in our group. We got our own private guide that night. And so uh, we were in one kayak, and the guide was in another. And as dusk began to set into evening, uh, we found ourselves out on the water in the pitch black of night. It was a type of darkness where you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Have you been there before? I mean, that is a really eerie feeling. Well, our guide had a flashlight strapped to his forehead, and he turned on his light only to reveal multiple sets of green eyes shining back at us from the shoreline of marlet crocodiles, better known as Mexican or Belize crocodiles. And I can tell you, Karen and I were very, very thankful that we had a guide by our side in the midst of the darkness. David says that God is with him. And uh, he goes on to say this in verse 11. I'll say, surely the darkness will hide me. The light and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, and the darkness is as light to you. The Anglican Book of Common Prayer contains an evening prayer called Compline. Many of us are familiar with that prayer. And uh, part of the prayer goes like this. Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. The same words that Jesus prayed. The prayer goes on. Be our light in the darkness, O Lord, and in your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. And then the Compline concludes, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. There is great comfort in knowing that God is with us, especially in the darkness, but not just physical darkness, also spiritual darkness, what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. Tish Harrison Warren in her book, Prayer in the Night, says the dark night of the soul refers to a time of grief, doubt, spiritual crisis, when God seems shadowy and distant. Perhaps you've been there spiritually in your life. Perhaps you're in a dark spiritual moment right now in your life. For those of us in Christ, we can take great comforts in the words of Jesus. Surely I am with you always, always, even to the end of the age. God knows me. God is with me. God created me. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. 
how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. This passage of scripture was not selected just for today. This was selected by Father Aaron months ago. But wow, what a week it's been. Ever since the opinion leaked from the Supreme Court, and now the ruling on Friday regarding Roe versus Wade, the issue of the preborn child and women's rights have been thrust into the center of public discourse in our country. But the psalmist is very clear. He's clear that God created him. You know, when I find uh, myself in the midst of a, a social issue, I often find it best to let Scripture speak for itself. David believes he was fearfully, wonderfully made, knitted and woven together by God, like an artist weaving together a tapestry. David even says, God saw his unformed body. In Ephesians 2, we read this. We are his workmanship, and that word can be uh, translated, we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. Each one of us is uniquely designed by the omnipotent, all-powerful God, created in his image. As one author has stated, Psalm 139 is not just about me fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139 is a psalm about my maker, fearful and wonderful, a psalm to inspire all. So what's David's response to this God who knows him, who's with him, who's uniquely created him? Well, his first response is nothing that I would have thought of. Uh, matter of fact, it uh, sounds quite harsh, but uh, David seeks God's vengeance, God's action toward his enemies, those he perceives are enemies of the Lord. Listen how David frames it. If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemy. Sounds nothing like the words of my Savior when he preached on the Sermon on the Mount to his followers in Matthew chapter 5, to love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. There are some psalms that are called imprecatory psalms, to imprecate, uh, to call judgment on or seek vengeance upon one's enemies. We lived in Africa where it was common for people to see the witch doctor to put curses on someone. In some ways, this is what God or David is asking God to do. Uh, quite harsh from our understandings of a loving uh, God and the love that Jesus requires of us. But that's not the only response of David. Because David then is seeking uh, God's help in, uh, in his emotion. Remember in the beginning, the very first verse, 
God is searching David thoroughly all of his life. Now the psalmist is approaching God. He's inviting God to search him. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the life everlasting. David's seeking God. Lord, are these emotions of anger that I'm feeling coming from a a heart of righteousness? Or is it coming from a vengeful spirit? Search me, O God. God knows me. God is with me. God uniquely created me. And as a result, I can now trust the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God with all of my life to be transparent and vulnerable with him. In her book, The Power of Vulnerability, I know some of you have read it, teaching on authenticity, connection, and courage, author Brene Brown dispels the myth that vulnerability is weakness and reveals that it is in truth our most accurate measure of courage. It offers both an invitation and a promise. When we dare to drop the armor that protects us from feeling vulnerable, we open ourselves to the experiences that bring purpose and meaning to our lives. My friend James and I have that kind of vulnerable relationship. We laugh with one another, we cry with one another, we celebrate together, We pray with one another. We've walked through some really dark times in our lives together. I share with James things I may never share with Karen. Now imagine that kind of relationship with God. He knows me. Uh, I don't have anything to hide from him. He's with me. I don't have to go looking for him. And he created me. He cares for me like no one else ever has or will. Throughout the pandemic, Karen and I were part of a spiritual formation program, and we were introduced to the daily examine. Ignatius of Loyola was a 16th century priest, and he encouraged Christ followers to take a look on their day and examine their lives on a daily basis. In essence, It's a way to incorporate the final prayer of the Psalms in a daily way. There are numerous resources online that uh, explain uh, the examine. Here's one of those models. And the first step is to quiet one's heart before the Lord. How can we hear from God in the midst of the clutter and the noise and the culture in which we live unless we set aside time to be quiet, to hear from him, to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us to look back on our day. Secondly, as a time of gratitude, giving thanks to the Lord for what he's done for us that day. It could be as simple as the beauty of the sunrise that we see on a morning walk, uh, the joy of an accomplishment or a son or daughter, maybe the courage to speak up in a meeting at work where you're able to speak truth into a situation. The third step I find very interesting because some of us grew up in, uh, 
in Christian cultures where this was almost a taboo. And that is Ignatius encourages us to pay attention to our emotions. He believed that emotions were one of the ways to detect the movement of the Holy Spirit in our life. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Oftentimes, the heart is referred to as uh, the language of the heart uh, is uh, our emotions. And so we ask the Lord for discernment. We ask him, were the emotions of my day in step with your spirit? Or was I getting ahead of or lagging behind the spirits leading in my life and not doing what you desired for me that day? Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me. This model of the examining courage is one to choose one specific area of the day and then to pray from it. It may lead to a time of praise to the Lord for a specific attribute or characteristic of his that you saw play out in your life that day. Uh, it may lead you to a time of repentance and seeking God's forgiveness. Perhaps a time of thanksgiving or even a time of intercession for a particular person that brought, God brought to your path that day. And then the final step is simply to look to the day ahead. As the psalmist puts it, lead me in the way everlasting. We can just add, lead me in the way everlasting tomorrow, Lord. Well, the Lord may be using the psalmist's prayer to tug at your heart this morning, to invite him to search your life. Typically, during communion, we have prayer ministers up at the side of the stage. Uh, they won't be with us this morning, but I can tell you this. If you're sensing God asking you to search your heart and you're desiring prayer this morning, you can see any of us here on the stage or any of the leaders at church. We'd be glad to pray with you and for you this morning to see uh, God's leading in your life. Let's uh, close our time with David's prayer. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Amen.